Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, little, little, little irritated. I have to say. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tee this up. What's making you feel irritated right I, now? Ben? Well, so it started out that my favorite basketball team lost the game today, and they lost the game due for predictable reasons that I think go back to the coaching and I have whatever. No one wants to hear about my take. Well, maybe some people do, but uh, no one wants to hear about basketball on the Exponent Podcast. And then I'm already feeling a little grumpy. And then I sit down to set up for this podcast. And my computer is just having lots of problems. No. And I'm, I, yeah, well, it's okay. I'm not mad at the computer. Like, but I am so hard on my computers because, I mean, like, one, they're just, I, I obviously use one all the time. It's in the of my life. But, I mean, I put it in a bag every day, care back from my office to, to, to home. It's, it's, it's banging around. I've carried it all over the world. Like, this computer has been, <laughs> it's been, it's been everywhere. Like, it, I'm hard on my computers. And that's fine. I think of them as tools, not jewels. Hmm. And I use them that way. The, the problem is that, because of that and because it's so integral to my work, I don't feel bad buying a new computer every year. You know, not only just get the best performance, but you know, just stuff, you know, stuff wears down, especially around the ports and things like that. The the problem is that I, I so back in back in 2016, I have my credit card out waiting for the Apple MacBook event. I'm gonna buy a new computer and yeah, no, I don't think so. And in retrospect, I strongly believe I've made a strong, a good choice to stick with my 2015 MacBook Pro, but it's starting to feel the effects of all that sort of, you know, just just the reality of being a very well used computer. So I need a new one, and I'm just not very I I there I don't see very good options for me. Yeah, I I feel you. I am in a similar position. I probably am a little bit more dual than tool and. In- terms of how I look after these things. But I will say that as soon as I saw that touch bar and the loss of all those ports, it's just like, "Mm, I'm not sure I want to have to deal with this. Right. And then the keyboard now has all these reliability problems and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, so, so the keyboard has problems the the port situation and the touch bar uh, like i have zero desire for for a new macbook pro zero and you know it's one of those things where like i worked i worked for microsoft before i use windows computer actually most people are surprised to hear that my issue with windows was not necessarily windows itself it was the third party app ecosystem everyone's like well wait i thought microsoft had the big app 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 advantage which we by the way foreshadowing we make it to in a moment uh <laughs> but the issue is like there's this whole world of sort of like dare I say artisanal sort of like third-party mm-hmm. Mac apps that are meant for consumers that aren't like line of business sort of apps. The, I mean, the Mac is just, is just so much better. And not just that, like I, I'm actually a very conservative person about my tools. I don't change my workflow very often. I have a set of things that works and works well. And I want to spend all my mental energy and focus on trajectory and on an exponent. Mm-hmm. I don't want to focus on like diddling around with, you know, with, with, with learning and getting finding uh, you know what i mean yeah it should be invisible like it should be in the background it should just work and that's the reason why people use i mean that's that's the value proposition of apple right and i i'm kind of with you like these i don't know i i hope they i hope they start to fix it that i don't know there is something about that touch bar and how the fact that it only really exists for the laptop computers it's not going to really get excellent support and like you don't think to use it because half the time you're working on an external keyboard i don't know i find the whole thing very frustrating and completely superfluous when apple's normally so good at taking out all the stuff that doesn't really matter instead of sticking it in you know yeah i i'm not a fan of it at all but i could tolerate it I, I have actually, actually I, while we're here, sorry, we're, we're going to get to the, the real topic in a moment. While I'm here, I do have a rant about USB-C that I've been meaning, like, I've been wanting to share for ages, and and I now feel I have the mm. outlets, I have to get it out. 
the problem with USB-C, so this idea where you only have four, you only have one kind of port, right? And the problem with USB-C is that it's full simplicity. And what I mean is there's that famous phrase from, from Einstein uh, where you should make something as simple as it could be, but, but no more. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where USB-C, at least as implemented by Apple, really falls down. And what I mean is it seems very simple. Four ports, all the same. It's amazing, right? The problem is that the complexity is all offloaded onto the user. You have to know which cable to use. If you use the wrong cable, it won't work. You have to know like you you have to know which you know which drives you. You have to carry dongles with you to use peripherals that aren't updated. You have to give up a power supply. You have to like all all these sorts of things. And again, any one of those could be reasonable, but but when you add them all up, you realize there's actually a lot of complexity that goes into plugging stuff into a computer. And that complexity was handled very gracefully by the previous MacBook Pro by virtue of having different kind of ports, right? There was no question about which port to plug into. Oh, yeah, it matters which port you plug into, right? You can't plug in two high bandwidth things on the same side. That'd be on opposite sides. Like, there's all this complexity that no normal user is ever going to know about and no advanced user should ever have to think about. You go on a, on my MacBook and which port do you plug this cord into? Zero thought because the core, the shape fits, fits the cord. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and like, does it look a little less elegant? It does. Does it mean a little more complexity for for Apple in the in the internal process? Perhaps, but it's so much simpler in practice, even though it looks more complex. And and the current version is this full simplicity where oh, look, it looks great in product shots, but the actual use in day to day is not simple at all. At all, it's far more complex I than mean, it was before. The, and what sits underneath USB-C is all this interesting stuff where it's not consistent too. I mean, I remember looking into which USB, third-party USB chargers and whether they would support fast charging for like a USB-C to Lightning and some support it and some don't and some of the computers support Thunderbolt and some don't over USB. It's, it's, it's just frustrating as hell. Yeah, and like I mean, it, it, so I mean, the one thing I do really want the new ones is I want the uh, I want the the higher bandwidth Thunderbolt three. Mm. But the one thing people don't understand is, is Thunderbolt three is a protocol. It, it, it doesn't have to use the USB C mm. port. It previously used a Display Port right. uh, uh, connector, yep. right? And that was it was also piggybacking on another sort of another sort of, sort of shape, as it were. And so it, it, there's no re- like app. It's not inherent in this that it has to be this way. This the the MacBook Pro is as it is because Apple chose to make it that way. And it's a choice that quite explicitly prioritized appearance and the feeling of simplicity or, you know, sort of the, again, the sort of advertising of simplicity as opposed to the reality of simplicity and the actual needs of of users, particularly professional users. Yeah. And and yeah, making a keyboard without keys with, with, with a whole set of keys is stripped away and calling that a professional computer. Mm. It's, 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 it's incredible. Yeah, I agree. Anyhow, w- w- let's move on from monopolies behaving badly. <laughs> on to monopolies behaving badly? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Apple is – sorry, we're, we, I, I'm on a roll here right now, so I don't want to stop. The thing about Apple that people – I've said this before, but like – and you saw this, like there's Facebook has like this subscription thing for for, for newspapers, which is actually mm. very newspaper friendly because it kicks you out to the uh, – or subscription friendly. It kicks you out to the site to sign up so like the – you own the consumer. Facebook isn't trying to take a share of it, unlike Google, who is. But Apple's not allowing it because they're saying, oh, you have, if you have a prompt in an app to send someone to a website to sign up for a digital product, we have to take 30%. <laughs> and like, it's ridiculous. They're like, there's, they have, the only reason they can do that is because they have a monopoly. And that monopoly is 
they have a monopoly on devices that run iOS, and they have a monopoly on devices that run OS 10. And what's so tricky about it, and tricky in a like with my business analyst hat on, I have to applaud, is it's a monopoly that will never actually be right. found to be a monopoly by any sort of regulator or court of law, right? Yeah. So they get that's why they get so much profit because they get monopoly type profits without monopoly type regulation risk. And it's a great model, but they're the inevitable outcome of monopolies is this sort of deadweight loss. And the deadweight loss here is like productivity for all all these people who are stuck with computers that don't suit their needs. Like yeah. that is actual deadweight loss, like stuff that is not happening because there's a monopoly going on. Yeah. And I mean, you see it in things like the other place where it's really cropped up has been in the music services and Apple favoring its own music service and not allowing Spotify to offer subscriptions on the device. You have to go somewhere else. But the difference being, of course, like when you have a vertical model with a relatively narrow user base, you can get away with it. It's it's more interesting having the discussion around the horizontal business models of things like Facebook and Google, where their aim is to get all the users. Because when you start to pull stunts like that, that's when you are looking at monopolistic behavior that might get regulated. I know you tried to segue a couple times, and I'm glad I held you off because that was a great segue. Uh, no, that's exactly it. Because the you know one thing that we've talked about from the very beginning is this idea of the difference between sort of horizontal and vertical business models. And in a vertical business model, you're using software and you're using services and all the things that sit on top of a piece of hardware, you know, most of the time to differentiate hardware so you can sell it at a profit. That's exactly mm. what Apple does. They sell like they sell those phones for like fifty percent margin. The Horizontal companies, on the other hand, what they're thinking about is they're investing massive amounts of money in upfront, and, and it's all fixed costs from a sort of like uh, when you're thinking about how to model your business, where they're putting in all the effort to build the service, to buy, to build the data centers, to hire the engineers, do all the R and D. But the way it pays off is that adding any additional user is basically zero. It's zero marginal dollars. So, so the the impetus, the way towards profitability is to get as many users as possible because then you're spreading out those fixed costs over that many more users. And this happens to be a perfect match, as we've talked about, for an advertising business model because advertisers also want to reach the maximum number of users. So you have this really nice alignment that entails reaching as many people as possible and then you make money that way and your costs are are, are spread out that way and, and you can build incredibly profitable companies that go – and this is the you know part of the, the logic of venture capital – you have to put in all that money up front. You have to build it all up, and you have to get that spread. But once that spread happens, you you kind of it's like a binary thing. You yeah. flip the switch, and now you go from not profitable at all to insanely profitable and practically a monopoly. Right. I mean, even characterizing it as cost being spread undersells it a little bit. Like you pay the amount, and basically the amount you pay is is almost independent of the number of users you want. So the price of entry is whatever it is to build one of these networks on the on the underlying side. And then you can add as many users as on top of that as you want. And it, if you're if you're walking into that game, you want to end up with as many users as possible because that's going to result in the most revenue possible. Right. No, that, that, that that's exactly right. You you want you want to get that. Um, every additional user is basically pure profit. Yeah, it's just it's just fat, right? This week was was interesting. I think I think this. Uh, I actually feel a little bit of closure, believe it or not, with this article this week, and I almost didn't feel it until thinking about it throughout this week so i actually think this podcast is almost going to be uh, uh putting a bow on it yeah in some respects so so this week uh, last week facebook bought a social network and i want to touch on definitely social network in a moment but a social network called tbh and tbh is internet slang for to be honest 
And yes, the the very first moment I post the article, I wrote THV. <laughs> oh, and I, I kept thinking, I was about to correct you because I'm still looking at the email and I'm still thinking, oh, the company's called THB, not TBH. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was unfortunate. Uh, so it's TBH, to be honest. And basically what it does is, so a few things are really interesting here. So first off, we, we talked about the address book and, and things like that, right? Mm. And that's what they do is they leverage location, they leverage your address book to basically build a social network. And what's interesting is, first, it's an anonymous app, and we've gone down this anonymous road, right, with Secret and Yik Yak, and what really tripped them up. Yik Yak, I think, so Secret was just this kind of, it was kind of first, it was just an anonymous app. And there was two big problems with Secret. Number one was, obviously, just anonymity breeds negativity and slander, and and it just gets so toxic so quick that you know, it, it becomes a big problem. I, I remember downloading that and seeing some absolutely shocking things about people that I, I kind of put my like two and two together and because it's because it's drawn from your social network, right? You can kind of you can kind of get a sense from of who people might have been talking about. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah, so Yik Yak ended up failing for the same reason. But what made Yik Yak more successful than Secret, and, and they did get a fair, they did get a little bit of traction. And it was I was actually very interested in, in this company. And what made them more interested in Secret is they had an organizing principle, almost like a totem, and that was location. Where mm-hmm. Yik Yak was about where you were, and so Secret was just it was just an anonymous network, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there was no sort of like the problem with anonymity in general is, is beyond the toxicity is how do you put sort of rails around it so that's how do you add context how do you put context because just stuff out in the void doesn't mean anything you need the sort of context for it to mean something and yik yak added that context that context was location it was and so you knew whatever was going on was about your school or was about your university or about wherever you were and that made it more meaningful even despite the fact that it was anonymity it was ugh, anonymous it added that degree of of, of just another degree of meaning and that made it more successful than Secret, but ultimately it did fail for for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah, I mean, like imagine your all the notes that get scrolled inside the school's bathroom uh, toilet wall, like being on a message board where anybody could write anything. Like I could see that degrading pretty quickly. Right, but but that they they still figured a little bit out, and this is kind of the the iterative concept. Mm. And this is what's interesting about startups in general in Silicon Valley when, when Silicon Valley is operating its best. And Yikak, by the way, wasn't a Silicon Valley company; they were based in Georgia, I think. But the, but in technology generally, is we, we as an industry are iterating through this space. Like there's something here. And, and like everyone that's coming along is a little bit better than the last one because they kind of learned the lessons that mm. w- w- where it went wrong. And I think you see this with TBH. So TBH uh, has in so they have the same organizing principles as Yikak. They have location and they and for your network they're using your address book. But it's it's you can't just post anything. What it does is basically like almost a like quiz app. Like who's someone you know who's you know, is a great speaker or like some just like random sort of compliments and nice things. And you're limited to like voting for people. And then that person gets selected. The people who weren't selected don't know. And the person who was selected gets this compliment just suddenly pops up on their phone, notification. Oh, by the way, 15 people think you're really great at this. And by putting so many guardrails around what you can do and and having the sort of context of location and, and the people that you know, it channeled something really positive and in a way that really has exploded over the last few months. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Like that iterative thing. And then this is a concept that we have spoken about a lot. I mean, and even, I mean, Facebook bought them. Like you think about the evolution of Friendster and, and then to Facebook and how, how oh, MySpace and, and MySpace, Friendster and exactly. yeah, all, all that stuff went in. It was like, oh, my, Facebook just happened to figure it out. Well, no, they, they got to see the mistakes that everyone else made along the way. Right. And, and that's exactly it. And it sounds like something similar is happening here where, uh, you, you like look at the evolution. And this is why I think going even further back into the podcast series and, and your writings, like this is why we're both relatively pro copying because like it's, it's so often the case that to build something better, you need to, as a foundation, you need to build on top of what's already there. And if you limit that or you restrict it, it's, it's just slows the pace of progress for things like this to keep coming out. It's a really great point. And, and, and to kind of like tie it into another regular theme, the importance of having competition, of having multiple mm, folks yeah. trying to figure this out, that, that no one is smart enough. Again, like so much, so much of our sort of pushback against being there being single entities deciding things is skepticism and doubt about any one person ha- or any one organization having the intelligence to figure something out. It's, again, it's not actually it's not intelligence. It's it's not about intelligence. You can have organizations that are perfectly managed and are brilliant, but as we've talked and written about, there's constraints like like cultural constraints. There's business model constraints, and those constraints are not just that they restrict them from acting. It's that it doesn't even occur to them to act in a certain way or to try something in a, in a different direction because their experiences are such that they've never even had that point of view. And this is the sort of like the the point about diversity about having people with different life experiences and backgrounds, that matters in all sorts of things. It, it can matter almost from a business model perspective. Like if you only have experience with one sort of way of making money, you saw like Microsoft going to mobile, right? We yeah. made money licensing the OS on, on, on PC. We're going to license the OS on, on mobile. And that ended up not being the right way to to, to approach it, but, but it didn't occur to them to try anything else. I mean, and not just that, like they, I mean, you, you made this point and it's something we've talked about previously. And it's one of the things that I wrote about, like they... They saw this coming. They saw it coming perhaps before anybody else did. And they were there with Windows Mobile, but they took, they took the previous paradigm and tried to jam it into the new one as opposed to allowing it to unfold or approaching it with, with a blank slate. And it's almost like you need to go through the process of failure in order to approach the next paradigm with, with like a clear enough, with a clear mindset in order to be able to figure out, okay, given the fact that we are now on a completely different device, rather than try and jam a computer into that, what would be the best way of interacting with this device? How are people going to use it? And the success caused them not to do it. They were incapable of it. I agree with that. I think that's right. But what has been really interesting over the last sort of decade, I think, in tech is the the giants have figured out a different way around that issue is rather than sort of do something and then fail and then do it again. Like the problem is there's a lot of sort of inefficiency embedded in failure, right? Say, oh, the best way to proceed as a company is to pick another area, fail miserably, and then you're going to be set for number three, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be better if you could skip over number two? And that route has ended up being acquisitions. I've been a student of Clay Christensen's for the longest period of time. And he talks about, like, he talked about this is like one of the panaceas to disruption, which is like, you are unable to, when you, when you get in a position of blockbuster and you build this fantastic uh, business built around a certain cost structure, you are just unable to see something like Netflix come along and find it attractive because you've built this business model up. And to try and take that and 
put it into your own is just never going to be attractive. The margins aren't as good and whatever. It's like acquisition is the answer to that because you can create this separate entity that isn't burdened by all the trappings of success almost that come that come when you've created a successful company. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the funny thing is there's there's a, a well-deserved reputation. I think we talked about this maybe like a year ago or so about like how rep, how acquisitions are a bad idea, right? And, mm. and, and values lost or whatever. And I think for large sort of established companies, particularly in sort of like quote-unquote adjacent industries, th- that is th- – that's certainly the case. But I think it's different in these sorts of areas and, and you're, you're, you're sort of touching on that. There's this aspect of building a – successful, profitable company is really hard, right? We talk about that sort of binary aspect. You have to build up all this, do all this up front and hope you can reach that tipping point, right? And mm. to do that is really, really hard. It's incredibly hard. The odds are, are hugely against you. But why do people do it? Well, because there's there's no other way, there's no other way to do it because to succeed as a company, particularly in the internet, in this age of 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 lower distribution costs where it's harder to just like sort of like build a distribution wall and then leverage that, you have to actually you have to win by competing, you have to be better, you have to get users, you have to get that virtuous cycle going. And it's it's very difficult. Like the degree to which companies today are entrenched is a function of of how difficult it was in many respects to get there. Mm. And so to get there, you have to be a fully optimized company. You have to be a company that's fully aligned, that has all the incentives right, that has mm. the business model right, where mm-hmm. all the pieces work together. And you can only have a company like that if the company was built from the ground up to yeah. be that way. And we talked about this a few episodes ago. You evolve into a structure that is perfectly aligned. You don't build it. You don't do a top-down diktat. You can't do a top-down diktat of a complex organism. Complex organisms evolve. They're, they're not. They're not like – set in place and then expected like these master central planning, they just don't work. There's a follow on from that though, which is you, when you become this perfectly aligned, very evolved organism that is so focused on one purpose and in a certain circumstance, when the environment starts to change or by virtue of like the purpose needing to change for some reason, because conditions are changing, you are, you've, you've almost crystallized into this, into this existing structure and it becomes so hard to shift out of it. It's oh, this is so critical. This is like this is kind of the I think this is the pivot point of this podcast and of sort of I mentioned I feel a bit of closure when it comes to to antitrust and this is it. There is this aspect of the the degree of efficiency and alignment that today's tech companies have evolved to to sort of like align themselves with and they they nail that problem and the the saving grace of that is yeah they're monsters in their area and there's really not much you're going to do about it but they are so unprepared for what comes next and we have examples we have IBM going back to the 60s so so attuned around the, the system 360 and, and that whole ecosystem they built up and massively profitable, but they they literally created the PC that destroyed their business and they had no clue that because they were so optimized on the other thing. And then Microsoft is the is is the even better example. They had that PC thing going, man. They mm-hmm. were it was we've talked before. It was one of the most brilliant businesses maybe ever, Be, just because it wasn't just them doing it themselves. The way they fostered an entire ecosystem, not just of app developers, but also of system integrators and of mm-hmm. enterprises and and sell, resellers. And and I I've mentioned before, like Microsoft used to brag about the fact that they only take twenty seven percent of the value you of the Windows ecosystem. And that is a that is not a bad thing. That is that is like the sheerest expression of 
ecosystem power that you'll ever see. That Microsoft is unbelievably profitable company, and they're taking a fraction of of the value they're generating, and it's all rests on them and everything about it. Microsoft would say, "Oh, we have like thirteen billion dollar businesses or something like that." All those businesses were. Windows businesses, like everything was about Windows at the center. And, and that goes back to the server. It goes back to oh, their entire business was centered around around Windows. But and being, it was it, it, in being generous, like you said, like it's almost like being greedy to be the best way to be greedy is to be generous, right? Like in being generous, they had all these other entities that were all in, equally invested in making sure that that continued. Right. But 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 th- in that is why they didn't win mobile. Mm. That's why mm-hmm. they didn't win the internet because they were so optimized around this. You talked about they were early to mobile. Yeah, they were early to mobile with a PC mindset and presuming that mobile mm-hmm. would be an appendage to the PC and even the operating system looked like a PC operating system. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the internet. They thought owning the browser would own them the internet because they were so focused on own the API stack, own the dev stack, and, and we'll have it. And they this idea of the, of the internet and basically it being about information and and the flow of information and and managing abundance, not instead of managing scarcity, and Google basically being the operating system of the internet. And by operating system, I mean not that they were like they had like an API, like a PC mindset, but they had, for all intents and purposes, they were the the gateway. the point of leverage, the gateway for everything that that happened on the internet. And, and it was Microsoft dominance that made it possible, that made it inevitable, actually, that they would be they would miss those other areas. Yeah, and I mean, in a certain sense, this is exactly part of the reason why why Google, despite its best efforts, missed social networking too, because they thought about it in terms of like an open system, as opposed to like the nature of this and and the way in which it was going to work was to to close things off and like to have complete control of the the environment. And that's that is not how Google thought. That's not how Google won the internet. Google won because the internet was open and you could compete on the best technology, as opposed to like Facebook's approach to come along and to start to create a wall garden. And that just wasn't inside of Google. Google's DNA. No, it's a great point. And, and like I wrote that P. Google piece a few years ago, and I've kind of, you know, I think I, I, I as I've written the Daily Update, I don't think I've, I can't remember if I've done the Weekly or not. I, I've written that, that what I really, I actually, in much to my chagrin, underestimated mobile. Like if mobile is the monster that I believe it is, and I said it was back then, and quite clearly is today, then obviously Google's going to make a whole ton of money on mobile. And like their, their, their stock is appropriately has been going up because there's so much opportunity, especially you see their search results. It's basically like a paid inclusion model for all intents and purposes, which on mobile works even better because the screen's smaller. So you can actually fill the entire screen with ads. And that like when I first became, no, you laugh. But when I the reason I became a real Facebook bull back when it was not fashionable to be a Facebook bull was because that concept of the newsfeed, like they are literally filling the entire screen of the device you look at with an ad, and 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 it doesn't bother people. I mean, to, to the extent you know, relative to like you go to a web page and be like, oh, these ads are so terrible, blah blah blah, and they're not actually obscuring. I mean, the ones that obscure the content are beyond the pale, but even the, the <laughs> other ones, like they're, they're off to the side, right? They're they're crappy ad units, and people actually complain about those more than they do about one that literally takes over your entire screen. And and it, I'm so mad, I'm mad about not one of the things where I just like, oh, duh. Like yeah. it, it, I had the pieces, but I didn't put them together. Like, of course, Google could do the same thing. They could make your search results be all ads. I didn't think they would have the goal to do that, to be honest. Like, I, I just didn't see them. Like, the way they think about it is get the best result as opposed yeah, to I mean, like, yeah. Just try it. Everyone out there, try searching for like car insurance. It, you have to like go like, t- <laughs> no, I post this in the daily. I'll try to find the daily update because right, I did screenshots. And you have to go like three full screens before you get an organic search result. It's, yeah. it's that, the fundamental point I think so. I almost people like it was too 
aggressive, but I think the underlying bit was still there, which is they're stuck there in this paradigm. And and we talked about the time because Google was uniquely enabled by the open web, by the openness of the web, by everything mm. being available. They could say that the more people use the web, the more web pages there are, the better our business is. And it was tr- it was true. And what an amazing business to have. But that 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 changed, and they couldn't adapt. They couldn't adjust because their mindset was so formed and perfectly aligned and incentivized around the model that made them so successful in the first place. Right. But then the interesting thing is like you see these, you see these companies where you talk about successions of different companies coming along and displacing, displacing the evolved winner of the previous generation. And, and it's, it's open for competition. There's, there's a possibility of new things springing up. But what's concerning is that that's starting to change. Yes. And that comes back to the social, social networking definition and stuff that I, that I referenced before. And the reality is social networking is not is not a singular thing. It's not like a Google win search, right? M- Microsoft wins the operating system game. No, social networking is is this complex thing. And I, and I made this map with this idea of if you organize it by permanent and ephemeral. And again, this is how it's perceived by users, not how it actually is. Mm. Uh, you know, this idea that, you know, you have to remember Facebook, and this is a big thing we've talked about in the context of Snapchat. Facebook had this this real sort of like fear factor around it. I mean, it probably still has a little bit, but it was really strong like four or five years ago. You know, there'd always be stories about someone gets fired from their job or someone doesn't get into university because they look at their Facebook page. And 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 President Obama at the time said something about, you know, be careful what's on your Facebook page. Like it was a it was a it was a real thing. And that what that did is that opened up the space for Snapchat. It opened up the space for these other companies. Snapchat advertised ephemerality by virtue of being digital and I and they could change that and, and people could take screenshots. But the way it was experienced by users was, oh, this is very different than the sort of permanent permanence of Facebook, if that makes sense. Right. And I, I mean, it, it was easy to dismiss at the time because of the initial use cases for Snapchat. But it's definitely a need, like where you want to send something and it, you don't want it to be permanent or you want to like give people a window into your life without them scrolling through your Facebook wall and starting to make judgments or seeing all the, the like and Instagram started to move in this direction too, where it went from just taking photographs and uploading them to people becoming more curated about what they uploaded. And, and Snapchat just had this obvious spot where like, don't think just post you know like what's going on right and there's this other thing about 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 facebook too where the thing to remember is facebook being your public representation on the internet is incredibly valuable right the facebook basically you put your best you you tell facebook everything about who you are and you want to put your best foot forward and yeah does that restrict the sort of viability of facebook in this sort of ephemeral area in private area certainly but it also lets facebook be an incredible advertising platform they they know all these things about you and they and they can target advertisements in a, in you know in a much better and more effective way than many of these other networks in it's all trade off everything's a trade off you can't have everything and and it's that trade off that goes we talk about building a company where all the incentives are aligned where all the business model is aligned that is a result of trade offs made along the way explicitly or implicitly but the reality is they are they are trade offs 
Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting to think about this from an advertiser perspective, because both of those different use cases appeal to different kind of advertisers. Like I would almost describe Facebook as a projected self. This is the image you want the world to see of yourself. Whereas you think about something like Snapchat or even the Google search history. And there was a really interesting book recently where where Google opened up its search history uh, or searches, general searches to this researcher. And he started to go through and, and basically the actual self of what people actually express when they don't feel like they're on display, when they feel like it's just them and the uh, Google search box or the Snapchat thing that they're sending to maybe just one or two close one or two close friends, like that is actually there is there is a big gap. And depending on the type of products you're after or, or what you're selling, like uh, that will appeal to some advertisers more than others. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because you almost see it going the opposite way too, where like Facebook ends up being a better place for super tailored advertisements and. and by virtue of being knowing less about you, these other ones are actually better for generalized ones. But mm-hmm. that, but that there might be a mismatch in sort of the the idealization of self versus the reality. It's fascinating. I, I don't know the answer to it, but it's a it's a really interesting question. But I tell you what, like if you were sitting, I mean, and this is the thing about this. This is part of the thing that scares me about all these acquisitions that are taking place because. Data is it's it's the, the nature of data and how it, it companies are very reluctant to share it across corporate walls. If you have a bunch of entities that where you can trust each one, for example, Facebook and Instagram with user data, you can build up a much more accurate picture of users for advertisers than you would by yourself. And you think about putting that Snapchat or that Google data together with the Facebook data, that presents a much richer, much more holistic perspective on what a user is actually like and what what they're interested in and what what they're doing than just any one of those sets of data by themselves. And as, I mean, as you've talked about, like the experience becomes better and then more people get attracted. If you have more data, for example, Facebook data and Instagram data, that makes it so much more appealing from an advertiser perspective. Right. Yeah, this is this is the key to the super aggregators. I can't believe I didn't make this point before. Super aggregators are aggregators for advertisers. They aggregate advertising. They 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 become and, and it becomes an area where you get a sort of I I have to work through I just kind of came to this. I have to work through the sort of particulars in my head, but they 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 build a virtuous cycle with that data and with advertising and they can see what advertising works and what's effective and what's not. I mean, the advertisers learn certainly, but Facebook's learning as well. They and they're seeing, you know, which ones are coming back and which ones are resonating, which ones aren't, and putting that into that sort of data feedback loop and making it more attractive going forward. And the more there are, the more the more data it is, the more feedback there is. It's the exact same sort of effect driven by those no marginal costs where anyone can mm-hmm. come on the platform where it's totally self-serve. And and it's and so it's not just that Facebook's a multi-sided network, they're a multi-sided aggregator. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think the critical part, like part of it is like, once these things get big, they just become, they get, they get locked in. Part of it is from the experience side, but part of it is from the data side. And it's again, this notion that it's so hard to share data between organizations for privacy and also because you lose control of the data and what's going to happen to it. But when you, when you acquire, when you bring those organizations together and you can share across corporate walls without worrying about it, like it gives it and in different contexts. Like what you post on Instagram is going to be different from Facebook. Like add something like Snapchat into that. It's going to give you even more context, more power uh, to, to attract more advertisers, which is going to help you grow even more. 
Yeah, no, totally. Uh, just, just a quick add-on to that last point. Facebook also has an aggregation effect going on with publishers where they're, they're getting a sort of uh, a virtuous a virtuous feedback loop from from data that publishers put on the platform and then, and, and then getting engaged with it and sending there and, and then, then make, being profitable. And the more that are on there, the, the, the more engagement there are from users. I, I, again, I have to work through the details, but this, I, this bit of a multi-sided aggregator, you could argue Facebook has it on three sides and Google does as well. And mm. like maybe... Get Getting into the super, I basically said that in the super aggregator idea, but I didn't. I was like, now I didn't fully flesh it out. Anyhow, sorry, I just wanted to. Uh, I, I wanted to finish that that sort of internal thought. No, I mean, I, I think it's it's the the data side is interesting, and like it's a, it's another reason to to get like it's another angle in on exactly what you wrote this week, which is why you have to be so careful allowing these acquisitions to continue to take place because they are just cementing. They are further cementing these social networks, and you could see a world in which uh, uh, they they get really good at this, and they get really good at figuring out which ones to integrate and which ones to keep separate. Like you keep the experience of experiences of Instagram and Facebook separate, but you share the data. So from an advertiser perspective, you have that much more context. You can see how like continuing to allow this to happen is is going to suppress future competition because if you're if you want to start one of these things, your only option is to sell to it because otherwise you'll never break out of you'll never break out of that canopy in the rainforest. Right. And, and and so your point about the data under being common between Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever it might be, and you know, they've gone through sort of some regulatory uh, challenges about shifting WhatsApp to that model, but it's exactly mm. right. And it makes that into almost like a common market for, for yes. advertising in a way that's overwhelming yes. to others. And, and so th- all those problems are real and and they're and they're and they're big issues just in general and just just to back up though like there's even if facebook was and facebook remember is still making the vast majority of its money on facebook the app there like so instagram is starting is ramping up but it's still hugely facebook mm-hmm. having a monopoly however that monopoly is acquired whether it be through a, a traditional distribution one or an aggregation based one where users are kind of self-selecting into it and getting that virtuous cycle just in general, having a monopoly is, is is a is a great place to be. But the 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 other issue, the, and so let's get let's get to that acquisitions because I think you're making a really great point about data. Like there, so the first big problem, and you you've said this is it makes it just makes the monopoly that much more overwhelming, particularly because even if it's experienced by the user separately. The, the advertising market for one is better, and then you also get the user interaction too. Like Facebook can push Instagram. To your like on Facebook, I get ads all the time. Like, oh, so and so is on Instagram, and and on Instagram, you it populates with your Facebook data, so you can it can grow it can grow mm. your graph there, so it can transplant the graph between the two, and so you're getting a strengthening of all sides of that sort of multi sided that multi sided market. Right. And it, it just becomes it, every time like you double down on that, like it just becomes more and more unassailable for someone new to start from scratch. Exactly right. It, so. I mean, I almost feel like there's not what what else there to say. Like it's quite clearly having multiple many of these apps makes them much more powerful. But I really want to get to sort of the 
the other point, which goes back to IBM and goes back to Microsoft, goes back to this long-running debate in technology about antitrust. Because it, the nature of technology, even before we got to the internet, even before the aggregation theory, just the nature of technology because of the way ecosystems work and, how, and the zero distribution costs and, and APIs and dependencies and all that sort of stuff, it, it lends itself to monopoly. And technology has always been about monopolies. It was IBM before, then it was Microsoft, then it was you know Google, then Facebook. And again, I'm being very loose with my definition of monopoly, not like the legal definition per se, but this idea of there being a centralized force that has positive feedback loops such that it becomes kind of unassailable. The de facto, right? Right. And so pushback has always been, well, yeah, but IBM was, was defeated not by the U.S. Justice Department. They were defeated by... Microsoft and Microsoft was defeated not by the U.S. Justice Department. They were or Department of Justice, Justice Department. What am I talking about? Department of Justice. They were defeated by the internet and by mobile. And you know, let's let's chill out about this with these current companies because something's going to come along. And this is where this is the, the sort of the other big point that I really want to get into about these acquisitions. If like, let's just step back. Imagine Facebook only owned Facebook, and they owned an Instagram competitor, like what they call Facebook Camera, right? And they owned a Snapchat competitor. What was the one they started? I can't remember what it's called. Uh, they owned a WhatsApp. They, they had Messenger, right? And I think Messenger is sort of a legitimate build out of Facebook in a way that you know Microsoft Office was a legitimate build out of, of of Windows, right? And and did they leverage one to build the other? Yeah, but I mean, like, it, it was a it was your sort of like garden variety leveraging, you know what I mean? Uh, what would be the narrative about Facebook right now? They're hugely popular. They're making lots of money, but people would be flipping their shit about like teenage engagement numbers and young people mm-hmm. aren't using it. And everyone's sure everyone has a Facebook profile and everyone checks it and the groups thing is kind of working, but but no one is actually spending their time there. And and you think and I would be writing pieces about yeah, the problem is Facebook owns your owns your professional idealized self, but the <laughs> actual real part of life, the part you actually care about, they don't have a, they don't have a foothold there and they can't cross over because they're they're locked into this place. And and I'd be drawing analogies to Google can't get into social network analogies to Microsoft and you can't go on the internet mm. and and you can see it because you would have a company that became so focused and so incentivized and so perfectly tuned to fill the sort of this is my real self on the internet digitizing off the offline like reality mm-hmm. like that's what Facebook did that they would be unable just like Snapchat came along they'd be they would have this soft underbelly in social that they would be unable to sort of break into. And that story would repeat where you would have this idea of, yes, a company becomes dominant in its era, but that very dominance makes them unable to dominate the next era. And I think we'd feel a lot better about, uh, about the current situation were that the case. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I don't even know that it's necessarily at the point of next era yet, though. It's an interesting topic. Like, like part of the reason that Facebook's in such a dominant position is that they were able to head off Snapchat at the past using Instagram, and Instagram's done so well in part because it's been infused by all these Facebook resources and know-how. They're using Facebook's infrastructure underneath, and the introduction of Stories just like kneecap Snapchat in a big way. Like, if that acquisition hadn't taken place. Instagram and Snapchat would be duking it out, that Facebook would be like, like all those things you just talked about. We don't have the counterfactual, but even in the present, even in the present era of messaging and social, it would look 
uh, it would the, the the landscape would be fundamentally different. This goes back to your point about data and advertisers, because one of the big issues now is if you're an advertiser, the opportunity costs of going on any platform other than Facebook or Google is mm. is kind of overwhelming. Because even with Facebook, would you like to reach Snapchat's audience? Of course you would. But what's the best way to reach Snapchat's audience in an efficient way? Probably to go on Instagram. And are there folks using Snapchat that don't use Instagram? Yeah, there are probably some, but it's not worth the effort when you can go to a single self-serve spot mm-hmm. and do Facebook and Instagram all at the same time. That's the real power of Instagram is they are – they're basically – attaching the Facebook ad infrastructure onto their product. And it's, 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 it's literally unfair, like not unfair in like a, like like there's no competition. There, There can't be any competition. Whereas if Instagram were an independent company, then what would happen is advertisers would put in the trouble for both Instagram and Snapchat because it's the only way to reach a very attractive audience. Mm-hmm. And that's the key thing because even if – yes, they would rather only go to Facebook and Google because it's easy and it, it, it's, it's more efficient. But if Facebook is really not reaching young people or it's not reaching you know, the, the, the quote-unquote millennials, those weirdos. You know, the, 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 uh, I, I was born the year before like the definition of millennials. So I can say that. Uh, so they, they put the um, – uh, no, I've totally lost track. Well, don't worry, I'm a millennial, so no <laughs> but they wanted to reach these people that that are using Facebook less. They would do it because at the end of the day, the most important thing. I, I talk about efficiency in advertising, but they still need to actually reach the people that they want to advertise to, right? So they would. So the interesting thing is, if Instagram were independent, it's not just that Instagram would be an additional mm. challenger in advertising. It's that actually Snapchat would be in much better shape. Because the opportunity cost calculus would be different from an advertiser's perspective. Yeah, like the advertising is balkanized. Like I was focusing on Instagram leveraging Facebook's infrastructure from a technical perspective. But the advertising point is absolutely spot on because advertisers now, it's just like, well, this is just a checkbox. And then I've got most of what I need anyway. There's one other thing, though, that you were saying earlier that I wanted that I want to touch on, which is this is this isn't um, an instance yet where we can see a company in a current era uh, like holding onto the mantle in the next era. This is still playing out in the existing era. What's interesting though is these companies are starting to show, these these internet companies are starting to so, show such an aptitude for acquisition that I think it might, it, like this is the first time where I feel like it might be cause for concern that they hold on. So it's not the IBM going to Microsoft and Microsoft then losing to mobile and to, and to the web. Like this is an instance where if you get this good at acquisitions and seeing around the corner and seeing what's next, you can start to see these companies starting to make investments that allow them to hold on over multiple generations and the effect that would have on competition. We're, we're in uncharted waters at that, at that point. Right. That's exactly it. That's, that's the thing that that is really, I think, sort of concerning. And almost the way to think about this, and I, I don't put this in, in the daily update the next day. I wish I would have put it in the main article, is it's think about let's go back to the Microsoft example. It, Microsoft tried to they saw Google coming along and so they tried to compete with it. And then mm-hmm. they saw Apple coming along and the iPad the iPod sort of blew up and then they tried to compete with it, right? And the problem is that they had that they, they were doing that, they were using an unoptimized not just a mm-hmm. it's not just it's it's not only hard to enter a new market as a startup and we talk about all how hard it is. It's actually, and this is we've talked about this a lot, right? It's actually 
impossible it's almost impossible for an existing company going up against a startup because the startup gets the advantage of perfectly sort of aligning and incentivizing and structuring themselves to pursue the opportunity. If that opportunity is a triangle, the the startup gets to make themselves into a triangle company to fit that triangle. And the old company that the, their first opportunity was a square, they're still a square and they can they can't change from being a square. They're not going to be a triangle no matter how hard they try. So no matter how many resources they have, they're actually in worse shape than starting from zero. I'm just enjoying that metaphor. I'm imagining you trying to fit square pegs into triangle holes, but please continue. <laughs> well, so go back to Microsoft. What if instead of mm. trying to compete, they had bought Google? I mean, Google, I think I built for like $20 billion and it popped immediately, but like maybe back in the 90s, it was, certainly was not that much. What if they, what if they, had, bought, what if they had just bought Google? It's $10 billion, Google. Here you go. They certainly had the money. What if when the iPad, a year after the iPad came out, or, or like a year and a half after the, the iPod came out, sorry, when it was clear it got on Windows, it, it was clear this was a big thing, Apple's value at the end of 2004 was $20 billion. What if, what if Microsoft just bought Apple? I mean, they, they probably. I mean, they probably went to for the antitrust thing. It's kind of yeah, interesting, but actually, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> say that for a moment. Uh, but the you know, but just leaving that aside for a moment. I mean, they would be they would be just as dominant. They would be the kings right now because they didn't try to build it. They had. They would have had instead of the arrogance that we can do it and we can do it better. You would you know sort of characterize Microsoft's approach. They to have this sort of humility to understand that the best way into the market is to is to buy into it. I mean, I was thinking in a personal perspective when I when I started Strategy, I had no money. I was part of the job, and I spent all this time like doing all this stuff myself, right? And like, why? Because at that time, time was cheaper. Was it was cheaper for me, right? It was it wasn't efficient. It wasn't the smart way to do it, but it was the only way to do it. Later on, I remember I was talking to someone about like a situation with my server or something, and I was griping about the the, the money I pay about something. He's like, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, why would you want to spend time managing that? And he's like, you're relatively speaking, you're not paying very much at all, and your 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 time is much more valuable than your money. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. And like, I needed a little sort of slap in the slap in the face on that, but it's the same sort of thing here. When you're a startup, you have no choice but to build a product and and try to get product market fit and, and to win the market. When you're big and you have billions of dollars in the bank, why wouldn't you buy it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's exactly right. And it's interesting, though, to like come back to that point, though, which was, uh, I mean, I think one of the things that probably did stop them, stop Microsoft from making either of those acquisitions was was antitrust. Like it was the specter of that looming that would would have probably prevented them. But this is this is different. Like uh, TBH, for example, and then Instagram. Like these things are like these acquisitions were able to be made at much smaller points than they probably would like they would have been with google or with uh definitely with apple like that right. would have I mean, apple, apple was way back in the, in the 70s yeah it would have been a little different yeah yeah it, it, it is whereas like and you you make these bolt-on acquisitions you see around the corner or or like oculus like this is an example of maybe not necessarily the right bet but them starting to think about what comes next and then infusing it with resources and know-how and leveraging the network that they already have for, uh, to to lock in that dominant position. The the nature, and this is why it's so important for regulators and, and the powers that be to understand how these markets mm. work, is, is to appreciate the way in which 
this aspect of, of this sort of binary nature of success where you don't succeed, you don't succeed, you don't succeed, and then you're you're unstoppable. And it, it's the virtue of these virtuous cycles and the way they kick in so quickly and they, and they just sort of magnify themselves is so different because there's, when there's no physical components involved, when you're not mm. building stuff, because there's a limitation for Apple. Like it, they're at unbelievable scale for the iPhone, but one, that scale pales in comparison. It's a fraction of Facebook scale. It's a fraction of, of Google scale. And, and it took way longer to build. It's been 10 years. Right. And, and, it's the most scaled sort of hardware business we've ever seen. But even then, it takes time to get there by virtue of there being physical limitations mm-hmm. on it. And then and there's also price limitations, right? They can never be as large because there's always going to be a huge part of, of, of the world that, that can't afford it. And you're going to see this. But that's not the case. That's not the case for these online companies with the no marginal cost, with the no distribution cost. They are – the whole point of aggregation theory, why why it's something beyond just multi-sided market analysis, why it's something beyond is this it, it that's why I focus on the cost so much. What is makes them different is the worldwide scalability. The mm. fact that Google can basically go from zero people to seven billion people. I mean, I'm I'm being a little hyperbolic, but for all intents and purposes, relative to a any other sort of company we've seen before that deals in the physical world, it's just an, it's totally different. It's utterly different. And if you don't understand and appreciate that, you can't see why buying Apple at twenty billion dollars is is equivalent to buying Instagram at a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, but here's the struggle, right? Like there are so few people in the world, and relatively speaking, as opposed to our understanding of the way business was done in the industrial era, there are so few people in the world that get what we're talking about. And even even now, we're we're figuring out on the fly. Like this conversation is part of a broader dialogue of figuring it out on the fly. And uh, we we're coming back to look at this Instagram uh, purchase and whether it should have been allowed years after it. Years after yep. it actually happened, right? Like, and the amount of money that's floating around Silicon Valley right now, it's attracting these people that understand it to work for these companies that to only increase the, to, to continue to create these effects that you're describing. And the, the regulators are up against it because like they're slower to move. They don't understand it. They're not, then they're bureaucracies that are evolved for a different era. Like th- this is going to be, I, I mean, it makes me nervous because th- these guys aren't well suited to necessarily necessarily figure all this stuff out uh, that's in some respects why i like I, I wanted to lay this out this week like look what can we start here and the more i think about it the more i think this might almost be like this is i think this might be it this really might be the way to think about antitrust in the in the in the age of aggregation just in, in tech generally is i define it a bit narrowly like facebook shouldn't be allowed to buy another social network and for all the reasons that were that we saw on instagram and whatsapp and frankly tbh is probably going to be a fad i mean can it really scale up to be a meaningful competitor doubtful and there's there's an aspect where if, if we bar these sort of acquisitions are we just going to totally kill any sort of innovation in the space because mm. there's going to be no exit because you're never going to build a company that can facebook's just so dominant now you're never going to compete mm. for 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 i mean snapchat you can't get their in Twitter are struggling to monetize. Like, are you going to really do do any better? So there's mm-hmm. a concern there, but there's I think there's a principle at play here where being so much massively more strict on ac- on acquisitions is I think the, the key principle about antitrust going forward because 
it, when you allow these acquisitions, you forego the opportunity of disruption. And disruption mm-hmm. is really the disruption was the key to undoing the IBM monopolies, the key to undoing the Microsoft monopolies, the key to undoing to to weakening Google such that Facebook would come along. And and Facebook in, is is ahead of that. They're buying their way out of mm-hmm. this sort of. The, the trap, like disruption, describes a trap that companies get themselves in, where they're they're serving their current customers so well that they they miss out on the new opportunity. They don't take advantage of the new technology, and and Facebook's buying their way out of that trap, and and that shouldn't be allowed. And it shouldn't be allowed not because we want to have like government telling us how to run our economy it's because we want to we don't want anyone telling us how to run our economy we want to enable more people more iteration more companies more attempts to figure out more attempts to build on each other and and if facebook can just can just pick out the ones that that are dominant or google or anyone else then that's 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 a big problem yeah, I mean, in some senses, it's almost moving. It's moving out of this world of allowing the constant iteration into a much more centrally planned, like deigned. I deign to let you exist, and if I don't deign to let you exist, you wither on the vine. And it's yeah, it's kind of a scary prospect. Again, it feels uncharted for us in terms of tech to be here. Yeah, and people are like, oh, well, Facebook would just would just rip them off and copy them. Facebook tried that. We've seen it doesn't actually work that well. Facebook mm. is not very good at mimicking and copying other products. And and that's actually the expectation. You you it should be a big surprise, not when Facebook fails in leverage, but when they succeed because they're you all these underlying factors are pointing in the wrong direction to succeed in the new area. And this is why it's important to understand the complexity of social, to understand why there's all these different apps that serve all kinds of different needs and why one app doesn't serve the needs of another app. That gets at why a company that excels in one area will have a hard time breaking into another one unless they just buy it. Which they're starting to do. Right. And again, there's lots of like details to work out here. Like, I don't think acquisitions should be banned, period. Like, there's lots of acquisitions that, that, Facebook has made like technical acquisitions and different things like with their data centers and and like I the, the, I think there's a reasonable balance here but networks acquiring networks is just it's very problematic and you know it's interesting what do you do with these with these companies you know if Facebook was dominant today I would I think be absolutely resolutely if they were just as they were I'd be resolutely against antitrust action against them. Again, leaving aside the fact that it's basically impossible under current law to understand what that action might be, but just like grant me grant me the sort of idea. Just because you would see like I would write say, you know, Facebook's under threat right now. They're under threat from Snapchat, they're under threat from Instagram. They're like advertisers are branching out, they're looking at other opportunities. Like let's let's let the like look at IBM, look at Microsoft. And and you know, you go back to, oh, well, we just said, well, antitrust and Microsoft stop them from buying Google and Apple. That's what we just said. Mm. Antitrust should focus on acquisitions. That's the key point of leverage here, and let the market, let disruption, let the way the natural course of business take care of the rest. Yeah, I mean, again, and here's the hoping it's not too late because the the nature of these networks is very different from from what we saw in the past. Like you've got lock in on a bunch of different sides, and maybe it will turn out. But, to but be you don't. Just like but you Microsoft. don't. That, that's the thing. I mean, that's what we, we, the whole point about aggregation theory is. These networks, they, for, it's very easy for them to frame themselves as being very fragile. And Google's are like, oh, anyone could use another search engine at any time. Facebook's like, oh, anyone could go on to someone else at any time. And the the reality is, it, it is actually there's nothing. This is the whole point. There's not with, with the old distribution monopolies, you could only buy one thing or you could only use one railroad or, or whatever. You can only use one set of refineries or whatever, whatever it might be. It's very, even the case of like Microsoft and IBM, arguably like that was much more lock in 
because you actually didn't have a choice but to buy Windows because all your software ran on it. You you really do have a choice about what search engine to use, for example. Now, you don't because everyone has collectively decided to use it and you get the data feedback, you get the, 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 those positive loops such that the experience is better, but people stay because the experience is better. But that means there's an opportunity, if the experience is better somewhere else, to go somewhere else. And we've seen young people and teens and, and, and all those sort of things, they find the experience, the place to give their attention is better elsewhere. It's better on Snapchat. It's better on Instagram. And, and you know, that's the natural, in some respects, the lack of barriers, the easy switching costs. And maybe this is why Facebook had the foresight and the humility to make acquisitions, because there is an aspect where their position is more fragile than the monopolies of old. And so they were much more attuned to the need to head that off at the pass. And and I think if we preserved that fragility and preserved mm. the inevitable outcome of a company so aligned on one sort of mission and then added in competition, I think the problem would resolve itself in a much more positive way than sort of, you know, people who always want to wield the, the regulation sort of yeah. bat realize. Yeah, no, I, I concur. And I think it's not just, I mean, I think it's important in this era, though I'm starting to come around to the point where, in fact, I'm not starting. I'm pretty still, despite what you just said, I'm still pretty firmly in the camp of thinking it's probably too late. Like they have amassed such size that I don't think you're going to be able to, uh, you're going to be able to build out a competitor that meaningfully competes against them. But I think it's most important when you start to think about the next era. Like that's where it would be really bad if they acquired their way into preventing, uh, like you said, disruption from taking place in the future, that would be a tragedy. Yeah. One thing that's really interesting is there's this weird sort of aspect where in some respects, it's easier to prove that Google's acting badly uh, in terms of like leveraging monopoly status, but the remedy is is less clear. And like, sort of like, yeah, interoperability, you have to include different sources and stuff. But the problem is the remedy ends up feeling kind of messy. Like there's an aspect where Google, if 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 I can just go to Google and get the answer that I want, that's so much better and easier for me than having to balance like 15 different apps. You know what I mean? Like I, it's nice to just go to one place. But, but, but Facebook, on the other hand, what are they doing badly? They're almost like what they're doing badly is just being just being dominant. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not like are they really leveraging in the way? No, there's there's bad just outcomes. Winning too much, right? Yeah, no, I no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's just the way that you said it. Like the, the problem is they're just winning too much. I was I grimacing. Mean, I was saying that because we get so much feedback about that on Facebook acting badly. But a lot of things, like again, this is back to the whole like election thing, right? So there's so many bad things that are the outcome of Facebook and the reality of it. But it's, it's not like Facebook actively being evil. It's it's a it's an outcome that that sort of that sort of happens. But what's funny is so Facebook, it's hard to sort of like I don't know what an antitrust case would be against Facebook. I have no I have no idea. But I know what the remedy would be. Break off Instagram and break off WhatsApp, right? It's actually it's actually pretty straightforward. Whereas Google, I can see the bad behavior, but like, well, what's the remedy? It's it, it's it's this weird sort of juxtaposition of the of the two companies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's the nature of what they do. Anyhow, we we went on a little long. I had to get my I had to get my Apple rant in. <laughs> yeah you know what if, if, if microsoft had a, if microsoft had acquired apple we wouldn't have this problem uh we also yeah, we, right. we also wouldn't have the apple today yeah and that's true. why that's why it's good that they didn't and that's why more independent companies competing the better and and yeah that's right and that that's that's why we have that touch bar yeah <laughs> i told you monopoly's acting badly i mean there, there's yeah. I don't know. I'm feeling. I'm feeling pretty good about this. I almost I, I, this. I, like I said, I've kind of come to this over this week, and I think this podcast is a good sort of 
place to weave it. I, I almost wish I had put it in this article as well. Finding the right balance. And I think this is the right balance is is the acquisition phase is really, I think, the key going forward. It's not too heavy handed. There's this idea of like, we're going to like, what are you going to break Facebook up or we're going to regulate the algorithm? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like what Facebook's algorithm tear itself apart because it's not giving people what they want or they're like, it's in are screwing around with it and people just get, get get frustrated and leave. Like that's, Mm. that's the best way to regulate the the algorithm is to have competing algorithms, to have, to have alternatives. And again, this idea that the companies in South Ford, oh, the barrier to entry is very low. That's true. So we should build our regulatory apparatus around maximizing that. That's the that's the tool. Mm. That is the big tool in the hand of regulators that the barrier to entry is low. So how can you how can you think about approaching the market in a way where you maximize that tool, where you make that impact larger? You make that impact larger by not allowing the dominant company to foreclose places where having low barrier to entry is, is a meaningful is a meaningful thing. That feels like a really good place to close. Very good. Well, it, it was. Uh, I, I think I, I might have had a coffee kick in uh, episode during <laughs> during this podcast. But <laughs> it happens on occasion. It does. It does. Uh, good talk to you. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. Bye right, bye.